Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. The crew is here, as always. Chaz, accompanied by Richard. How's it going, Richard? Hey, it's spoiler season again. Spoilers. It's like almost always spoiler season now. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, what's going on? Oh, not much, guys. How you doing? Doing okay. Podcast episode 82. So on the docket for today, we have conspiracy spoilers. It's like always spoiler season, so it's like pretty fun. We have a large GP weekend that we wanted to cover and a lot of fish mail that we wanted to cover. So uh, as of this morning, 8.15, when we're recording the podcast, we got a slew of conspiracy spoilers. Richard made the comment that I think they, I think they spoiled like almost the whole set. <laughs> so we had a lot of spoilers. So we wanted to take the time to highlight a few of them. We also wanted to talk about uh, just a couple key mechanics cards. They may not be rares. They may just be some commons. But we wanted to talk about the mechanics in general. Uh, we're going to talk about, yeah, just going to detail about the GP weekend. Ended off with fish mail. So... Let's just dive right in. Uh, we didn't get to talk about Kaya, Ghost Assassin, so take it take it away, Richard. All right, we got Kaya, Ghost Assassin, our, our newest planeswalker to join the multiverse. Uh, two white and a black, five starting loyalty. Uh, zero, exile Kaya, Ghost Assassin, or up to one target creature. Uh, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. You lose two life. Minus one, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Minus two, each opponent discards a card and you draw a card. So no plus ability, an exile ability, and something that affects everyone at the table for her minus one and her minus twos. Yeah, so technically no plus, but the zero can be from anywhere from plus one to plus four. Uh, And no real ultimate so first impressions I'll, I'll let you comment first seth i really like the design this is something we've never really seen before on a planeswalker we have seen a planeswalker with no plus abilities but the ability to reset the loyalty with the zero ability is really cool so i really like it uh, i just don't know what you're gonna do with it that's one of for me i'm so conflicted with conspiracy because there's so many sweet cards but a lot of them are just not quite sweet enough for Legacy. And that's what I'm wondering about Kaya. Four mana Planeswalkers is just like a huge hurdle to get over in Legacy. And you can't play it in Modern. You can't play it in Standard. Uh, so it seems sweet for multiplayer formats like Commander. And I expect that it'll see a lot of play there because it does have it ab- abilities that impact the entire table which is pretty nice but compared to deck faden the original conspiracy planeswalker which was clearly pushed for vintage i'm not sure kaya is really pushed for eternal formats in the same way that deck was yeah i i love the design love the character love everything about this card i think it really speaks to like the flavor and the terms of like it's a go like, kind of this ghost council ish card we've seen like ghost council of orzova it's a black white card and it does a lot of like the way it assassinates creatures is really interesting and i just i love it all around i I do agree with you in the sense that i don't know if it's pushed entirely for eternal formats i think it could have a shot it does some pretty cool things and obviously it gets better in a multiplayer setting but i mean losing two life isn't a big deal for the zero since you gain two life back from one of its other abilities it, get, it grants you card advantage, so it does do some great things at four mana. I just, I mean, when you stack it up against like other four mana walkers that see playing Legacy, which is a very 
very short list. I mean, it's basically Jace the Mind Sculptor and then Fringe, what, Elspeth here and there. I, I just don't know. But, I mean, I love it. The overall design is great. I love these conspiracy planeswalkers. I just fear that there might even be more, like, general supply of conspiracy two than the first one. So I don't know really where this settles on a on a finance perspective either. I, I think though that comes down to just how much people buy. Conspiracy right. was like super available. It wasn't limited in any way. Like if you wanted right. a box of conspiracy, I think you can still buy it for like msrp or below so uh, i think that the supply will depend on how excited people are for this set and uh, if people are worth uh, find it worth it financially to actually crack it open uh, because it's a weird set to actually do anything with like if you can get eight people together and draft it i'm sure it's amazing but there's a lot of magic players that maybe don't really have that type of play group to do that so it's uh, interesting to try to figure out who this set is actually for and how much of it will be opened. I just think that the, the key new thing here is I don't know if I don't remember conspiracy being sold at big box stores. So that's like a new key element here. Uh, these will actually be sold at like Target and Walmart and stuff like that as like a brick three pack. I don't know if you saw that specific part. Uh, I actually didn't notice that part. So that is an interesting twist. Uh, we'll, we'll see, I guess if you're walking through your line at Walmart, are you going to pick this up over the most recent standard set for a typical player? Maybe, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, Richard chime in on Kaya. I don't like Kaya and mostly on a flavor level. And I didn't read the story, but she has assassin in her name yet. She doesn't assassinate anything. Like, can we not get a kill on her, a kill ability on her? Uh, but here's my theory as to what she actually will be good at. I think she'll be really good in Commander, and she'll be good for decks that need their Commander during their turn, because her, her zero ability basically blinks out your creature until your next turn. So you get to skip uh, four to eight players' worth of sorcery effects for one creature, uh, which could be your Commander. So I think that's a pretty cool. It basically makes your other creatures turn into uh, the Orzhov Ghosts. And her minus two could be good in a duel. It's plus two cards for you. You go up a card, your opponent goes down a card. But if you're both top decking and your opponent doesn't have a card, then you just drew a card for a minus two, so that's not too impressive. So I don't expect her to see any play in Legacy. Uh, Could be interesting for her blink effect in Commander, but... I just really wanted some royal assassin like ability on her. This 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 was a bad assassin. They just come back the next turn. Like this is I want a refund. This was not worth the bounty price. <laughs> well, I think it's good enough that you basically nullify a creature for quite some time and the the cool interaction of Kaya if you for some reason need Kaya to not be around on their turn either. So there's not a lot of ways to interact with Kaya if you keep blinking Kaya out. So that's kind of a form of uh, protection in a sense. I don't know. I think it's it's pretty good, Richard. I know you you aren't too high on it for anything eternal format. So I think I can agree there. I'm just I don't see any applications right on the surface where it's like, yeah, this is great. Like kind of like Dak Fade, and it's like, oh, he can steal Moxon, he can do a lot of things, he can steal Batter Skulls or Swords or what have you in Legacy or even Vintage where it comes to like Moxon and stuff like that. But I mean, Kaya just is is amazing in a in a Commander format, and I think 
especially multiplayer. And I think that's kind of where they wanted this to go. I think they did a good job on that front. Yeah, Kaya Ghost Kidnapper like takes the creature for a turn, <laughs> and that's it. Her minus one yeah. is actually really annoying. It would be better if right. it'd be too overpowered if you gained uh, life equal to the life drained. But just draining everyone for two will annoy everyone, <laughs> and you only gain right. two life out of it. So you just painted a big target on you for like a minus one. So that's it's kind of weak. But having you gain like eight life every turn would also be too overpowered. So that's right. That's not doable either. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on. All right. So next we have Queen Marchesa. Marchesa. Anyone know how to pronounce this name? I think it's Marchesa, but I mean, you know, we're notoriously going. Marchesa, our Mardu human assassin. So one red, white, and a black. Four converted mana costs. Three, three. Death touch haste. When Queen Marchesa enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent is a monarch, put a 1-1 black assassin creature token with death touch and haste onto the battlefield. So I really like this. Assuming this is all valid and this stays in like commander and nothing about this gets banned in any way, shape, or form, I think it's great. A 3-3 for 4 with death touch and haste is already pretty good. You become the monarch, so the monarch text is actually like an emblem-style card. Just to explain this, and it the, the Monarch emblem reads, At the beginning of your end step, draw a card. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, its controller becomes the Monarch. So you get a free card, you get Queen Marchesa, and if somehow they deal damage to you on their turn, they become the Monarch, and you will then get a 1-1 on your turn. So I, I really like this card all around. It's pretty strong, especially for Commander. Seth? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's cool, and it probably has some applications. I don't really know if I like the fact that my opponent is going to end up drawing cards a lot of the time. It seems like the type of commander that you're going to have to really build around and try to make sure that you're often drawing the cards. It's it's this odd combination, because it's sort of this... like group hug type card almost where you're playing what will almost be like a howling mind because if you're the monarch your opponent some opponent is going to attack you and then when they're the monarch someone's going to attack them and i think that's the flavor they wanted based on all those like fake spoilers they were doing and previews with different people getting killed and different people becoming the the monarch so i think the flavor fits what they're doing but i don't know about how it plays out in practice it seems like uh, it's just going to be everyone draws a card on their end step. And if you want that, that's awesome. But it's in this like aggro color package uh, of Mardu, which doesn't necessarily make me think uh, like a turbo group hug type deck. That makes me think blue green. So I don't know if her colors line up with her abilities in a way that would make me really want to play her in commander that much. Richard. So this is the flavor win. This has assassin written yeah. all over it. Death touch haste. <laughs> And then if for whatever reason you're not the Monarch, you get another hasty Death Toucher. So if they want to keep being the Monarch, they got to sacrifice a creature. Otherwise, you got to take it back. And it's just like a death free-for-all, except that everyone's going to go after each other trying to grab the Monarch. So I love it. In terms of a Mardu commander, I don't know. It's just a 4-mana 3-3 Death Touch haste. You got to draw a card, but chances are your opponents will grab the, the Monarch emblem. So at least you get a card. Because it's during your end step, so you always get a card as soon as you cast Marchesa and uh, maintain the monarchy. So, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. It'll be interesting to see if 
the other monarch cards somehow break into commander. You know, a lot of these cards you might be able to grab being the monarch and keep it for the whole game. And if you can do that, that's super overpowered. So it'll be interesting to see which other cards show up. Uh, but this one, people, you know, unless you can somehow block really well, people are going to take the monarch uh, title from you. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out in commander. Unlike Kaya, this is probably going to get worse for each player that is playing uh, uh, in your commander game. I, I think, I don't know if many people who listen or if either of you play like dual commander or French commander specific one-on-one, I like it there. But like you guys have mentioned, the more people that play, the harder it is to maintain the monarch or you know stay in the monarch. The good thing is is if someone else, no matter who it is, is the monarch, you get your one one on your turn. I don't know if that's really a huge like a, a very good trade off for them drawing a card, but at least you know you're gaining some sort of advantage to allow you to attack and get the monarch back with your new one one assassin creature tokens. I don't know. I think just the character in general, everyone really loved Marchesa from the first conspiracy. The art is sweet. Like just it's it's all around flavor win likes uh Richard said. And I, I think that at least that keeps things interesting in terms of this card and the people wanting to at least get this card in some some sense, especially foils just to have. So I like it there in in that sense, but yeah, I just it's going to be hard to maintain the monarch in a multiplayer setting, but in a one-on-one scenario, obviously it gets better. Yeah, and uh, assassin tribal, yeah, yeah. More assassin, <laughs> yeah, assassin assassin tokens. This is the second assassin token I think after Vraska. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to assassin deck. People don't have to just keep auto defaulting to what Mard- the Zergo helm smasher for their for their four color martyr general anymore so i think this is easily supplanting that all right let's move on to a spicy reprint nice no longer will thought be budget inquisition <laughs> it might flip around but we have inquisition of kozalek coming back as a rare if you don't know what this card is single black target player reveals his or her hand you may choose a non-land card with converted mana cost three or less and that player discards the card. New art. I don't know what's going on in this art. I, I, I don't know. Uh, Anij has to explain it to me. It's that rare now. It used to be uncommon. So I know exactly what you're going to say, Seth. So I'm just going to say it before <laughs> you discuss the card. I like the art. I think it's a really good reprint. Kind of weird to see it at rare. But I guess for draft purposes, that's fine. At least they reprinted it. Because it was a really big miss in like all of these masters sets to not see this card so it's finally back it's not going to be twenty dollars for an uncommon anymore just to explain the art a little bit if it feels like this kind of visceral thing where a head crabbed like kozilek follower is basically headbutting <laughs> this this uh vampire it looks like the vampire from zendikar with all the face painting and just blood is like kind of everywhere it looks really really weird and and cool i i really actually like the art i i i might favor the original more but i mean it's by no means bad and i'll just let you go into your tangent set so i know everyone's been bashing it on social media so just have at it well well first off to to disregard the art for a minute 
Wizards loves to say, oh, this is a mythic because of limited. Oh, this is a rare because of limited. And to me, Inquisition is the card that finally just pushed me over the edge and makes me feel like that whole argument is bunk. So next time some expensive card is bumped up in rarity and Wizards says, oh, we had to do that for limited, I, I'm just not going to believe them because Inquisition is borderline unplayable in draft it is just like so not good like so i just do not understand why this is rare the only reasonable explanation for this card being rare is wizards looking at the secondary market and they'll never admit that but it is just so clearly a secondary market based decision so that was the first thing as far as the art i they have no clue what's going on, and it kind of makes me feel like Wizards is doing this like behind-the-scenes plan to keep prices of original printings high and make collectors happy. They're like, all right, we're going to reprint some expensive cards, but we're going to make them so god-awful ugly that no one will want to play them. So you can hold on to your original Rise of Eldrazi versions. Don't worry, the price isn't going anywhere. So if you actually want cheap Inquisitions, you have to play this art that's just going to make you want to gouge your eyes out. Oh, man. In this particular set, because conspiracy is conspiracy, I let it slide because whether it's rare, uncommon, common, in conspiracy in general, there's no way this is maintaining like a price. This is going to be like a dirt cheap, like three to five dollar rare. If that, there's so much conspiracy out there. You could buy it in Target and Walmart. I- I'm I'm okay with this in particular, but I do agree with you, Seth. Sometimes it's like too much to swallow. It's like, oh, this card is back. But we had to bump it up to Mythic because it's like, it's so good. Don't you like your Argothian Enchantress as, <laughs> as your Mythic? Like, no, basically no enchantments? Like, uh, like So I know I made it sound pretty bad, but I'm legitimately happy that they reprinted this. This is, it yeah, needed to be too. reprinted. It, it was really did, yeah. ridiculous that it was more expensive than Thoughtseize. Like, just all around, this is a card that really needed a reprinting. And like you said... Conspiracy is a good set for these type of reprintings because the supply is high. We saw some $30, $40 cards turn into $5 cards last time this happened with Conspiracy. So it is going to help with the price. So it's not one of those, like fake reprintings where like oh we'll put it in this like really limited supply (laughs) and everyone's kind of excited but nothing happens to the price and everyone complains this actually is going to do something to the price of inquisition so that's the good news yeah it's way different from like a master's limited printing so yeah in this case it's great and we've talked about this in the past you richard and i this is a great place for these random reprints that are constructed viable to find a find a home in this set like like you just said, we saw $30 cards like Stifle, uh, Exploration, all these all these cards that we've talked about in the past. These are the, This is the set to do it in, and I'm really glad to see Inquisition back. Well, one more thing as far as complaining. Uh, conspir- <laughs> Conspiracy is built to be a, a draft set. That's the entire yeah, reason is- you play Conspiracy. Yes. The entire reason it's designed and putting a card like Inquisition at rare actually hurts the the overall goal of that set because you're putting people in this position where they could draft a cool, fun card that's going to improve the draft environment, make it a better experience, but they open Inquisition at rare and they feel like they have 
to take that for financial reasons alone. So I think it bothers me even more that it's a raring conspiracy for that reason, because it seems to work against the aim of the set, which is to make this fun draft environment, not to encourage people to rare draft cards for their sideboard because they're worth a few dollars. No, but listen, this is for the three random cards that you will get with your Arc Demon of Pollyano. <laughs> you are going to flip Arc Demon, your first card, and get three random Inquisition of Kozilek for your next three picks. <laughs> All right, I need to complain now, guys. It's my turn. So first, the art is just so bad because I can't tell who's getting their card discarded. Who who is actually being attacked here? It, it's ambiguous to me, and the fact that you know one of them is this weird Kozilek mass thing, and I don't know what's going on. It's just really weird. And like Seth said, I I will pay a twenty dollar premium not to play this card. Right? <laughs> I I will buy the original Inquisitions and pay a lot more money just to not play this card. So they they have done like the reverse sort of. Fire nice thing where they have printed the <laughs> the newer, much worse art, and no one's ever gonna play this. Onto the card itself, I dislike it a lot because of the precedent that it sets. Right now, Wizards has set, is basically coming out and saying, if a card that used to be really cheap becomes really expensive, we're gonna protect that price if it's like a, a decent card. Right in this case, you know, you guys are saying, you know, Inquisition will be a five dollar card, right? But it could be a $0.50 cent card. It could be a $1 card. But now it is going to be a $5 card because Wizards doesn't want people who bought Inquisitions at $30 to feel too bad. right? So that's why I don't like, you know, if Young Pyromancer becomes a $30 card in two years, are we going to bump it up to rare? Is Lingering Souls going to become a rare in the future? That's, that's like, you know, limited breaking as well, right? So I, I don't like this precedent where expensive cards get bumped up and... Power level is not really taken into account of or limited, so I don't know. It's just it just leaves a sour taste, and this art really annoys me too. I, I get what you're saying. To be fair, lingering souls at uncommon was kind of crazy. Uh, li- li- lingering <laughs> souls probably should be a mythic. If yeah, you play limited in that format, good uh, god, that card yeah, is unbeatable. That card should be a rare. So I don't know. What, <laughs> I, I I I'm totally agreeing with you right up until that point. <laughs> Right up until you All said right. incoming <laughs> mythic lingering souls because whoever drafts is gonna win anyway, so might as well make it there. That card is legitimately mythic. busted. So that card in uncommon was like kind of crazy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, do we so capital punishment? Uh yes. Want to move on? Yeah. All right. Yes. So capital punishment for black black. It's a sorcery council's dilemma, which is a new mechanic. Starting with you, each player votes for death or taxes. Each opponent sacrifices a creature for each death vote and discards a card for each taxes vote. Death and taxes is a mechanic now. I thought that's pretty cool. Uh, it interesting. I don't. I mean, I don't know if you're going to play this over just like a legitimate sweeper, like uh, the one from Marodin Besiege that gives you like a giant like construct. Or is that white? Is that a white card? Yeah, it's I a think white that's card. a white card. Oh, so. There's, Never mind. There's, there's a ton <laughs> of cheap sweepers, though. Yeah, uh, I mean, in black, so. I, I don't know. It's fun. I, I like this kind of everyone chooses kind of thing, and it could be cool. It's a card that seems really powerful in Conspiracy in specific. When you have eight players voting, it's going to be like each player sacks four and discards their hand. It's almost like uh, a death cloud effect to some extent right. that doesn't hit lands. But in Commander, 
it's not that great. You sack two creatures and maybe discard two cards, uh, some combination in that range. That's not that powerful for six mana, and in a heads-up game, <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, six mana <laughs> in a two-player game is not good. But it's an nah. interesting take. So this is one of the new mechanics. So dilemma, so basically every vote counts for something now. Whereas last set we had Judgment, which only the winning vote uh, did something. Uh, other new mechanics, we have Double Agenda on our Conspiracy card. So uh, let me pull up our Double Agenda card. Summoner's Bond. It's a Conspiracy. So Conspiracy cards are cards only legal in Conspiracy. And you start them in play in the Command Zone. So they're just always there when you start the game. So Double Agenda... Start the game with this conspiracy face down in the command zone and secretly name two different cards. You may turn this conspiracy face up at any time and reveal the chosen names. Whenever you cast a creature spell with one of the chosen names, you may search your library for a creature card with the other chosen name, reveal it, put it in your hand, and shuffle your library. Interesting. So lots I don't of know pieces how... of paper. Yeah. <laughs> you need to write down secret names, hide them. And hide them with your summoner's bond. And then when you cast one, you get to flip it, show that you named that, and then you can go fetch the other one. I mean, it seems like a lot of work for... <laughs> I mean, I guess, I don't know how viable this is, like, even in conspiracy drafts, but, I mean, it's interesting. I like the... I like, I would have to see more double agenda cards to kind of see how this plays out. But... Uh-huh. I think it could be good. It's, Let's it's say cool. you draft, yeah. like, three commons of a card, and then you have your bond That's mythic. true. So you name those two, and then you draw one of your commons, and then you get to fetch your mythics. So you basically have, like, four of your mythics. That's got to be pretty good, right? Yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, it I really mean, depends on what you draft, right? Go ahead, Seth. It, it seems pretty reasonable. And, I mean, the nice thing about these cards is they don't count as a card that you have to draw and have in your hand, so the opportunity cost is low. Like, normally in Limited, tutors are really dependent on what you can tutor up, but... With this, it's pretty much a free roll because it's just sitting in your command zone. It's never going to take the place of something else in your hand. So it seems like kind of a free roll to play it, even if you don't have a mega bomb to search up with it. On a broader perspective, I just have a hard time caring about the conspiracy card types uh, because conspiracy isn't on Magic Online. That's where I play most of my limited and most of my Magic. They're not legal in any formats. So, overall, conspiracies are weird to me, just because they only matter if you're drafting the set. Yeah. I have a hard time getting excited, too, because it's like, you can't even play them in EDH or Commander, and it's like, ah, you know, I mean, it's cool. At least it's draft viable, which is, I guess, where they're going with this. All right, moving on to Jeering Homunculus. One and a blue, (laughs) zero, four. It's a homunculus. Which is a one-eyeballed, egg-like creature. <laughs> when Jerry Homunculus enters the battlefield, you may goad target creature. So goad the new mechanic. Until your next turn, that creature attacks each combat if able and attacks a player other than you if able. So over under on how many people had to look up the definition of goad this morning. <laughs> and it, it works so well. It's like a little. <laughs> it's like this little monster in a huge crowd, just giving everyone the finger. <laughs> just giving everyone the fingers. 
I mean, I would be pretty goaded into attacking this. But you're supposed to attack another player. I know, <laughs> but I I don't know how this works because I would just want to attack this. He, <laughs> yeah, he's he's the kind of kind of person or thing that like sneaks up behind someone and like pulls their pants down and then points at the person next to him and tries to start a fight. Yeah, uh, uh, this is a great mechanic. <laughs> and the, the art just cracks me up. The name of the mechanic is perfect, and the art is just so funny. That's why I can't stop laughing about it. And I'm sure it doesn't come across on the podcast because you can't see it. But look it up. It's re- it's just a really funny card. I, I suspect if we did an art <laughs> video for this set, it would just be two minutes of us laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then moving on to the next card. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I, I like the goad mechanic. It's like still reverse. Like I. I guess it's still like group hug, but you're not. <laughs> you're still kind of being diplomatic about it. I mean, how could you be mad at a jeering Pillow homunculus? Pillow fort. Fort, here we go. Uh, I mean, they wouldn't want to hug you, I guess. That's true. <laughs> There's no hugging. You're <laughs> other people attack each other. <laughs> yeah, so mission accomplished here on jeering homunculus. <laughs> All right, so last new mechanic is melee. Comes on yes. deputized protester, two and a red, a two-one human warrior, menace melee. So melee is whenever this creature attacks, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each opponent you attacked with the creature this combat. So you have to attack other other players to pump this. Yeah. So in conspiracy, you can right. attack up to seven other players. <laughs> so yep. theoretically, you can get plus seven plus seven. Attacking planeswalkers doesn't count, and it's Ugh. this combat. So if somehow you took multiple combats, it still doesn't really do anything. Ah, <laughs> uh, but menace though. It is menace. It is menace. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, perfect. I like that. It's a mechanic that encourages people to kind of spread the love around with attacking. It might keep people from. Uh, ganging up on one person in commander games i guess it kind of encourages that type of gameplay but eh, i don't know it's not it doesn't really strike me as an exciting mechanic what myriad myriad and melee that's the new thing that is pretty cool just make you know with myriad when you attack everyone gets attacked and then melee your guy gets super big so if you okay somehow give this thing myriad (laughs) boom (laughs) what's the What's the sword from the commander? That's, oh. What's the myriad one? Sword of the... Uh, I, totally I don't know if it's it. a sword, actually, is it? Blade something? Blade blade of selves? Blade of selves, there it is. Good one. And to be fair, this is a common, so maybe there's some sweet stuff, like, oh, uh, draw a card for each Ooh. opponent that was attacked this turn, or each opponent that was attacked sacks a creature, like some other stuff on higher rarity. So maybe that's why I'm not enthused so far, is this is just a random common, and maybe there's more they can do with it. Yeah, draw a card for melee, sign Seth up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that, you know, that's the first place I went. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I know it. Uh, so that wraps up the mechanics and the, the spoilers in general for Conspiracy. So overall, just... Just what are your takes on Conspiracy Take the Crown so far? Love it. Don't like it. You're kind of just mad on the whole thing. I love these sets, just not just because we get random cool reprints to <laughs> bring the prices down. But I do think it's it's a very good set to have in, during the year. I, I wish these were 
more frequent. It's it's been quite what a few years already since the last one. What was uh, the last one? I think maybe two years. Oh, okay. So yeah, maybe I guess every two years is a good frequency for this. I don't know. I just like it. I I wish it wasn't. Uh, it's just because so many of the cards, like the conspiracies, you like all of them are not like you can't really use them in commander or anything like that. I guess casual is fine. Conspiracy drafts are cool, but it's just hard to get excited when it's like one third of the new cards you can't even use. I don't know. Yeah, this is uh, one of the sets that really makes me wish these supplementals were modern legal. Yeah. I, don't, I come back to that every time a set like this is released, but it makes me feel that way again. Because, like, Kaya would be really cool in, like, a black-white Death and Taxes deck in Modern. You could do some neat things, like some of the other cards as well. So uh, it always just reminds me that, oh, like, <laughs> these cards are cool, but where are you actually going to use them? Right. Yeah, what bugs me Richard? is you can't play them on Moto. I want to go play Conspiracy, but getting eight people together for a draft of Conspiracy is going to be hard, right? The internet is the perfect place to do this, and we can't play it, right? And, right. you know, I don't want to write up pieces of paper and have, like, eight little, you know, pieces of paper flying around the table. <laughs> but, you know, Magic Online could track that easily, right? So it's all of these things, and I just, I just wish we could play it digitally, and... I know why they didn't do it, because it's too hard, because the cards are too weird, for the same reason they don't have the unglued and unhinged cards, but, ah, I just want to play it, and we're not going to get to play it, so, spoiler season's kind of meh for me too, right? It's like, is this legacy playable? Nope, alright, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Right, and I get what you're saying, because it's like, half the cards, the face-up cards are like, just basically generic creatures when when you kind of erase all the draft, like, text from them. Like, the Arc Demon is cool. It's a 4-mana 5-4 but with flying, but, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's, it's good, but I mean, what else can you say about it? And then the Conspiracies you can't really use. Moto, you don't use any of this stuff. So, yeah, uh, I, I can see where that's coming from. But I try to stay excited because at least I, I, I just I look at some of the cards and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That can be a new, like, commander that everyone's going to start playing. That's going to be awesome. Or that's a really good new... Planeswalker for Commander because no one really plays that many Planeswalkers anyway, so that's awesome. Inquisition's great, so, you know, I just try to find something to be happy about with these. I I think that even more depressing is that that the reason it's not on Moto is because the program just literally (laughs) isn't good enough to handle it. So it's like this reminder of some of the failings of Moto because it would be so sweet, but... The program just isn't up to snuff. They literally like can't put all magic cards on Moto because Moto just isn't up to the task. Right. And and just in the back of my mind, it's like I we we haven't seen that many cards yet, but but with both of these sets, hopefully this is at least better. But it's like how many conspiracy drafts can you do until it just wears off? Like maybe two or three, and it's like you have all this product just hanging out, and no one really cares about it anymore. Okay, we'll be opening them to get Inquisitions. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. I guess that's that's what it boils down to. All right, uh, so moving on to the huge GP weekend. There was GP Portland, GP... No, there was a Star City Games Open in New York, a huge monitored event. There was GP Rimini? Rimini? Ah, oh, man, I'm butchering this. And then that was it, right? There was one uh, more GP or no? 
No, two GPs no, in the two modern GPs open. And, yeah. a, and a big modern open. Okay. So just thoughts on, on the weekend. A uh, few things I, I wrote down just to talk about for a few talking points. Kitty packed, cat packed. I We couldn't find a better name for this. Like, uh, w- All right. I kind of had a feeling this would be a thing. Didn't we talk about this, Seth? We did talk about this. Yeah, I mean, it actually <laughs> worked. A harmless it worked. offering their way it into... Worked. I mean, the deck was really just a solid, creatureless Grixis control deck that happened to win with harmless offering. It wasn't really overloaded on on the combos. Yeah. There's only two harmless offerings, and the rest of the deck is just like a solid control deck with demonic packs and ways to bounce the demonic pack. So, uh, but on camera, a lot of the wins were by dark petition for harmless offering, give you the demonic pack. And the look on some of the people's faces were just so great. Like you have these like <laughs> pro players. I was watching on the pro tour last week and all of a sudden this random guy just donates the, the, the demonic pack to him. And they just have this look on their face. Like what just happened to me? I can't <laughs> believe this is like real life on the like 12, one bracket at a GP. Uh, so, that, so that made my weekend. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and another note I wrote is just a ton of Bank Company. We're back to Bank Company, aren't we? And we did talk about this a little bit. Richard, all three of us talked about this, that you know, Pro Tours, it's kind of a under-microscope uh, metagame. There's, it's very specific. There's all these teams. It's very kind of homogeneous in that sense where you're just getting very like specific decks the broader mtg community i felt was always going to choose bank company as like their very safe deck that usually always does well at these kind of tournaments and it turns out that was exactly correct yeah that was my fear so the pro tour was like the smallest pro tour in a really long time because it was australia and there were visa issues and lsv decided that ban was the best deck, and he played it admirably to a, a good finish. And all these players with their band company decks from the previous standard are just like, oh, okay, we can just sleeve this up and go again. And here, here everyone is with band company. You know, not not many changes were needed for the deck, so people just have their band company decks laying around. So they just brought them out, and here we are in band company world again. The the other big story is the rise of the Fevered Visions Burn deck. That yes. deck went from uh, one person played it at the Pro Tour to a 9-1 finish. Uh, so it was kind of a side thought, but it did put up a good result with the one player that played it. And in the European GP this weekend, it was the second most played deck on day two. It was like 16% of the metagame, and it put two yep. copies in the top eight. So it went from one single player at the Pro Tour to being one of the biggest decks in the format in the matter of like one weekend, uh, the American results weren't quite the same. There was one in the top 32, but especially over in Europe, it was a huge breakout week for that deck. Yeah. I think there's two reasons here. One is just actually a viable deck. And there was indicators here for the blue red thermo thing. So the, the thing is actually a thing now, but there was a lot of five Oh finishes. And I was like, you know, this deck is actually looks pretty good. And it's cheap. I mean, it was basically under $100 to make and probably still will be. I, I think that could be a factor here. But other than that, it is just viable. I mean, you're you're playing all these 
there's these weird cards that that grant you card advantage. Collected Defiance, you know, really proved itself at the Pro Tour. A lot of people had really good things to say about it. It's just not many people were on the deck, the the actual blue red version. But in all of the ramp decks, everyone had nothing but praise for Collective Defiance. And it looks like Fever Visions just does really big work in a, in a metagame like this where it's kind of grindy and you just get a lot of value out of it. Uh, a lot of the, the decks online were playing Thing in the Ice. I still think it has a place in the deck, but uh, most of the people in the European and then the one, I think the one uh, American player was opting to play Storm Chaser Mage, and that just threatens all these Lilianas and just all these Planeswalkers in the air and can easily get out of uh, Grasp of Darkness range, uh, Fiery Impulse range, just with one spell. So uh, it's just interesting. Yeah, go ahead. I think that's the only real change to the deck. Looking at the list, it's like you literally just swap out Thing in the Ice for... The Storm Chaser Mage. Otherwise, yeah. it's pretty close to the same 75. And it's also worth noting uh, Todd Anderson won the SCG Standard Classic this weekend playing the old build with Thing in the Ice. So the deck yeah. had a really good weekend all around, winning the Classic, uh, doing well in Europe, and showing up a little bit in Portland. Yeah. Another thing is a lot of these Delirium decks are now turning into Jund lists. And I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that. It just feels like you need Kozilek's return and Fiery Impulse in these in these Delirium decks. Uh, yeah, those are definitely good reasons to play Jund. Uh, another one, and I haven't got to break down all of the y- list yet, but from what I was hearing from people, another one of the big payoffs is Dragonlord Coligan. Yes. Uh, specifically for the the hidden second ability where it takes and uh, drains whenever you cast a spell with the same name as a spell in your graveyard or whenever your opponent does. So I think John definitely has some game against the graveyard decks because of that. Yeah, and and a lot of Distended Mindbenders. That card is just insane, especially against opposing Emrakuls and just nabbing their Traversa Uvenwalds or what have you, just to get it up out of there. Uh, I, I kind of had a feeling Distended Mindbender would sort of creep up as the, the be- not necessarily better, but the more the more suited to the metagame emerge card at this point. I still think people need to play more Decimators. Decimator of Provinces, there's so many games I see where the board just gets bogged down. Yeah. Where if you were playing a one of Decimator as a tutor target, uh, you would just trample over for the win so much easier, and you would avoid a lot of the matches this weekend were so long, like going to turns, uh, unintentional draws, uh, at least going to time or close to it. So some of these decks might want to consider something like that just to avoid those draws, which are so devastating in a big tournament like that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Mindbender, I mean, all the Emerge cards are great right now, but I, I can definitely see a argument for the Decimator. Uh, did you want to comment on Standard at all? Or did you have a quick thought, Seth? I was going to turn it over to Richard. Uh, I just wanted to mention, this is a little off topic because it's modern, but 
In Modern, the breakout deck this week was the Dredge deck. It's been yep. floating around on Magic Online for a while, and now all of a sudden it won the tournament, put multiple decks in the top eight and even more in the top 32. So it was kind of the talk of the tournament, and it looks really solid. So if you're playing Modern in the next week or two, expect that deck and come packing your graveyard hate. Yep. Richard? Yeah, I think... I didn't follow Standard as much. I saw Kitty Pact uh, being all the rage on the internet. But in Modern, I was keeping an eye out, and Dredge is crazy. But we have Rest in Peace, so people will be prepared. And although you can theoretically abrupt decay and Nature's Claim, uh, it could slow you down enough such that you know you can't go, go nuts with uh, Prized Amalgam and Greater Gargadon, which is the, the new tech in the Dredge decks. But... Overall, I didn't see too many new cards. Uh, I see Grimflayer being played a bit in Jund. Uh, someone tried the new Liliana as a one of. I myself tried it at FNM and it was so bad. But I'll try it again just just because it's Liliana. <laughs> <laughs> but I, nothing nothing too spicy from Eldritch Moon in in Modern yet. So we're gonna have to, have to wait and see see if anyone has anything to to do in the next couple of weeks with the new cards. Uh, I was hearing that Distended Mindbender actually is making its way into Tron, and I saw these dredge lists. I mean, dredge just looks amazing. Prize Amalgam, I think, basically put the deck back on the map. I mean, it's just so ridiculous how much power you can get onto the board so quickly with multiple copies of Prize Amalgam. And Collective Brutality was a one-of in the main and a one-of in the side, I think, in the winning list. Or was that? Uh, I think that was uh, yeah. Tom Ross's build. No, yeah, that's uh, so that was Ross Tom Ross's Miriam build. Had one in the sideboard. Yes, collective brutality looked great whenever it uh, was cast. It's it's really interesting. The winning deck, uh, the old version of the dredge deck, was more of a conflagrate deck where it was looking to life from the loam back lands had all four conflagrates and would like conflagrate for six or seven. Then the next turn do it again and kind of burn the opponent out. This is more of a, a legacy style dredge deck. Really? You got the bridge from below. You got greater Gargadon to sack your stuff for bridge from below value. And you're playing just a straight up dredge game like you would in an older format. So it's, it's really interesting to see this deck uh, coming right to the top of modern, that's one thing we haven't really had in modern, and it's been over a year now, right? Since Grave Troll was unbanned, yeah. and it just yes. like never really got there. Then all of a sudden, it is right at the top of the format. The thing is, it's Dredge, and it still scoops to graveyard hate. So I can't imagine with this performance the deck actually sticking at the very top of the format because it's so easy to hate out. You just actually put graveyard hate in your sideboard and Dredge can't win. Uh, so I would imagine it will turn into the same type of scenario as Legacy Dredge where it can spike a tournament, do really well, then everyone remembers they need to play Rest in Peace and Leyline of the Void and Relic of Progenitus, and it kind of fades down. And once people start filling those sideboard slots with uh, things for other decks again, because they haven't been running into Dredge, you can win a tournament again with Dredge, because it's super powerful with the prize to Melgum. So I think it's about picking the right timing, and it probably won't be next week. But I would keep an eye on the sideboards, and once you see the graveyard hate start to drop, you could definitely spike a tournament and win with Dredge, as this weekend showed. Oh, you need to actually do something as well. Like, just sideboard hate won't, uh, graveyard hate won't get you there because they do run Nature's Claim and Abrupt Decays. And just going, like, 
insolent neonate into blood gas into prize of Malcolm, that can just kill you, right? That's a one, two, three curve. So if you're just, you know, slapping a rest in peace and dirtling around, that may not win the game, right? You actually need to apply pressure. So it's not at like, you know, legacy dredge where you wait for them to dredge their graveyard and then you slap the graveyard hate down and they're done. Uh, this deck can recover. So it'll be interesting to see that little dance you do because you need to be ag- you need to be somewhat aggressive. You can't just right. put graveyard hate down and count on it. So it'll be interesting to see how how modern uh, shakes up now that people are aware that uh, graveyard hate is needed, but they also need to be proactive because you can just die to stinkweed stinkweed imps and prize amalgams and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. Just to go off what you said, Andrew Boswell was talking about. He's like, I had to turn to. I had to turn to scavenging ooze and I still lost. So it's not like you can just, you know, you slap down your scavenging ooze, you slap down your rest in peace on turn two, and you just kind of hope to get there, like just based on that one card. You still have to actually play a game of magic. Like this deck can still hard cast some of its stuff. I bet it's not going to be as good. You will likely still have a huge advantage, but it's nowhere just dead in the water. Like you said in Dredge, where, it, you know, you just play one well timed hate and it's pretty much just over because. They have no other way to cast their cards. Uh, they can still kind of curve you uh, into good stuff. But I still think this is going to be a one, a tier one to tier, like fringe tier two at all times. I mean, like you said, Seth, if you're not packing, like if you're not respecting the deck, you're still going to play it up in the seven, eighth rounds where, you know, if they're sneaking by, they're, they're going to be playing you in those later rounds. And if you're not respecting it, you're going to lose to dredge somewhere in a large gp so this is now going to solidify itself in the metagame and and i think it's a really good deck like i said out of nowhere well basically it's printing a neonit prized amalgam it was just all these little pieces that just got printed that suddenly you have a really viable dredge list yeah i i think uh i think people will start packing graveyard hate i did want to touch a little bit on the finance stuff uh, aspect of this seth we saw a lot of price increases on the dredge deck itself what do you feel about kind of we always see this like fallout reactionary uh increase where all these sideboard cards start increasing at this point uh the sideboard cards to fight against dredge yeah yeah i mean i i think that's reasonable i don't expect to see those sideboard cards spike in the same way that we've seen like bridge from below just in the last day went from like 10 to 25 at retail prices gargadon doubled up uh, more than doubled up now because it increased more yesterday after doubling up a few days ago Uh, so i don't expect those kind of increases but you can see like leyline of the void has been a slow and steady gainer if you bought it Two years ago, it was two bucks. It's up to ten bucks, and there's no reason that's not going to keep climbing to fifteen, twenty bucks until it's reprinted again. Right. It, this is more of like kind of like a preventative thing where you're not spending more. I, I mean, this is like a like you said, they're just slow, steady gainers. I don't think they're going to crazily spike. But a card like Rest in Peace still sitting around the three dollar range. You know, to draw a comparison, Stony Silence, a very niche very specific sideboard card against affinity is in the eight to nine dollar range and i can certainly see a card like rest in peace grow to those kind of uh, numbers so it's just kind of preventing from having to pay more uh in the in the next few weeks when everyone's trying to scramble to combat this this deck and and on a more collection management level 
cards like Rest in Peace, cards like uh, Graft Digger's Cage and Stony Silence, those are some of the best cards to own if you're interested in playing modern because yeah. it's you're not buying a piece for one deck you're buying a piece that's going to go in 40 50 percent of the decks that you play because it's a sideboard card you're going to want in any deck that can cast it pretty much so it's those are great cards to have a couple copies of because you're going to use them more than you would use a, a main deck card that only goes in one specific archetype yep all right, uh, I think we should move on to fish mail. We have a decent amount of them, so we're going to try to get through them as quickly as we can. All right, first up, at JDHD, I pulled a foil Liliana, the last hope at FNM. Should I hold or sell? Not going to play her because I play burn. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, get a new I... deck first. <laughs> <laughs> they were prepared, parenthesis, <laughs> shut up, Seth. Yes. <laughs> right in the tweet itself. Oh, man. Uh... I mean, I think holding, I, I think that Liliana is as good as the card is, as nowhere to go but down at this point. So if you're looking to sell, I'd sell soon. I mean, as, yeah. as soon as possible, especially if you're not going to use it at all. And also, it's worth keeping in mind that a lot of supply of foils comes from Moto Redemption, uh, Magic Online Redemption, and that's going to be kicking in a couple weeks from now. So that usually has a reasonable impact on foil prices because it just bumps up the supply so much. So I, too, would recommend selling soon. Next question from The Big Slop. I scored my San Diego Comic-Con Planeswalkers. How long do I hold or do I sell right away? Congrats. Uh, I think a lot of people ended up grabbing them because of uh, the tweets from all three of us. So congrats on that. And you both got it. So awesome. We didn't even talk about that. It did not come yet, though. I haven't received mine either. We, I think we were one of the first to order it and pretty much one of the last to receive them. I think this is based on where you live. <laughs> it, mine was sent in the mail like almost immediately, but it's shipping from somewhere apparently very far away because I haven't received it yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I don't know. It feels like unless... If you need the money, you might as well just sell it because there's there are a lot of these. There's way more than there ever were the previous years. It feels like there's just so many of these now. But, I mean, if you're going to hold them, it's, it's going to be for quite some time. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I think you're fine to hold them, but I would plan on holding them for a while. Uh, and you got some downside with like Nissa is going to be in the dual deck coming up. Some of yeah. them are honestly not that great. Like the Jace isn't all that exciting. So uh, there might not be as much long-term potential as some of the other Planeswalkers that we've seen in past years, uh, like Jace Friends Prodigy, for example, that sees play in older formats. Uh, so I don't know. I think you can make money cashing them out right now. So if you want, to do that and just have the money in your pocket, that's fine. Otherwise, plan on waiting it for uh, for a while. Yeah. Next question from at Edowin. Buy Collective Defiance now or later? Ugh. Later. Yeah. I mean, at this I, point, it's already spiked, so yeah. I'd wait. If if you would ask me a week ago when it was a buck fifty, I would say definitely now. But at at six fifty, <laughs> it's a lot for a rare to maintain. So and you know what's actually on Moto, they were much more than the paper uh, prices for quite like for a while. I mean, they were like eight bucks on paper for like a few weeks. So yeah. it's like the paper prices just caught up. Yeah, I, 
I, I mean, I leave it at this point. The good thing is, it's like that's like pretty much the most expensive card in the, the set. So outside of Jay's Fringe Prodigy, which some of some of the decks don't even use, and it's about as I think it's about as expensive as it will get for what it is as a imprint burn spell removal spell type card. I can't see it going much higher than six fifty. That seems to be close to the ceiling for a rare with those characteristics. Right. Next question, also from at Edoin, having trouble with hand disruption that comes from black control decks in standard. What type of sideboard cards are best? Hmm, that's mm. kind of kind of a hard question. So you're having they're having trouble dealing with other people's disruption. It might just be a deck building problem where you need to build your deck in a way where you won't necessarily get wrecked by those cards uh, but without knowing what the deck is or what you're playing it's really hard to make specific suggestions it's the answer is redundancy as a as a thought seize specialist uh nothing you you want to see more is like turn one thought seize and they have four ancestral visions and you're like okay <laughs> so you basically redundancy play four of the same cards or play uh target so in standard that would be like you know, play more Emrakuls and play more Traversy Uvenwalds to fetch the Emrakuls. So things like that. So just basically have them, you know, have it so that when you get Thoughtseized or uh, transgress, transgress the Mind, it doesn't matter because you have two or three copies in your hand or you have more in your deck to draw. Uh, next question from at Drawholic. What is the difference between TCG mid and using MTG Goldfish for pricing a card? Which is better to use? I can answer that. They are currently the same value. So if there's any difference, it's usually a time lag, and we update the prices every hour, so it shouldn't be that great. But yeah, they're the same. And for what to use when trading and selling, it doesn't really matter as long as both parties use the same benchmark. So whatever you use, it's usually pretty good. Just as long as both people have the same expectation, it should be it should be fine. Do you guys want to chime in on that? Uh, I think, no, I, I think you handled it. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> the good thing is, is like you, you know the the inner workings of that. So I, I don't think I can explain it any better than you just did. <laughs> At Jack Patton forty two, as a new modern player, wait, modern will eventually exist and might not be as powerful. Should I keep good standard cards? Oh, oh, then new the, modern. Oh, a, a new modern will eventually I exist see. and might not be as powerful. Should I keep good standard cards? I, mean, I okay. think that's generally a good trend. Yeah, they're talking about like a brand new modern. This this was Seth's like second modern, where cards <laughs> yeah. that currently yes. are powerful enough for modern, but were very powerful in standard, e.g. Den Protector, should we be saving them? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, my my thinking is that assuming this does happen, and it's not a 100% thing, although it seems likely, I would assume this is going to be five years in the future or something. I don't think this is an immediate change we should be expecting, a, a new updated modern. So, yes, it's a good idea, and we saw massive spikes from the creation of the original modern, and I would expect the same thing to happen again as cards that didn't really have a home in modern and were rotated out of standards all of a sudden are the best cards in this new postmodern format. But I don't know if I want to hold cards for five years on the hope that this format actually happens. Yeah, I think that's a good place to be. I mean, it really depends on what standard cards, because a lot of good standard cards do translate pretty well to to current modern. So you're already you're already saving them for that. And then if some new format were to emerge, no pun intended, but 
Yeah, I think that'd be fine. Like, Den Protector's, I mean, Den Protector's always going to be a decent card, no matter what. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if they're cards you're fine with holding anyway, yeah, but I right. think the idea that, like, oh, I'm going to predict what cards are going to be good in this hypothetical format yeah, that may yeah. or may not happen in five years, like, I don't think you want to go down that road, no. but if the cards are cheap already uh, heading into rotation and they have a chance to be played in modern or this new format, it doesn't hurt to hold on to them. I just wouldn't base my decisions around the hope of this new format that may or may not happen. From Sniper's Trilogy, will any of you be going to PAX in Seattle this year? If so, will there be a fish fan meetup? That would be awesome. I don't know if I'm going to the, uh, going to PAX, though, so I don't know if you two are. Uh... I hadn't really considered it, so not that I'm aware of. I would go if I could actually get tickets. I went, the last time I went was like literally like nine years ago. And back then you could just saunter in on Sunday and like walk right in, buy a pass and like enjoy the convention. But since then it's become far too large and it's so hard to get tickets. So I I don't know if it's actually going to happen. Next question, at Sinfoid. Moto prices have been falling across the board, or have been falling across the board. Is this a cyclical downturn or something deeper? I I think this is just normal time of the year stuff, uh, is my take on it. I don't think that there's any real issue, any more so than there always is with Moto, where people complain on social media and so forth. But you see this a lot with new sets being released, people selling off, and summertime is a slow time anyway. It's not that uncommon to see prices dip through the summer as people are uh, doing real outdoors stuff more and have parties and summer things going on that you don't always have in the winter. So I think it's just a seasonal thing, and I expect it to uh, be like normal as time continues on. Uh, Last two questions, one from Ben Y. A lot of people like to post on Twitter that some random Hearthstone streamer at 2 a.m. gets TEDx the views of the Pro Tour on Twitch, but I haven't heard anyone talk about how valuable an average MTG viewer is compared to a Hearthstone viewer. Am I wrong to think that 15,000 people who might spend an average of $100 per year on Magic is notable and not comparable to a bunch of people who are up late and never spend any money on Blizzard games? This is a very good question. And I think it ties right into what we've been talking about for, feels like a long time now. (laughs) But I think a Magic... a, A Magic viewer and streamer is much more valuable to the brand of magic and you know wizards of the coast than they are for blizzard because it just i mean when you look at hearthstone when you look at you know all these larger esports i mean there's like hundreds and hundreds of streamers and you know some of them have thousands like across the board like if you look at the top two rows of streamers each one could have a couple thousand viewers I mean, I don't know if people just like the streamer at that point or they all play Hearthstone, so they all love to watch Hearthstone and go buy Hearthstone. But I just feel like the exposure level for Magic at this point is much more important to Magic than it is for other games at this point. Oh, that's it's actually a hard question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for it. What are your, yeah. what are your thoughts, Richard? Ah, the old deferral technique. <laughs> so I I think the viewer has a a point, but it's not as strong as I think uh, they think it is because a lot of the money that we spend on Magic doesn't go back to Wizards. 
Like when you spend six dollars right. to play at F and M, that just goes straight to the store. When you buy, you know, a thirty dollar card on eBay, that goes zero back to Wizards, right? Whereas with Hearthstone, when someone buys a pack, it goes straight directly to Blizzard. And given the other, the other part is the ratio. Uh, it's not one to one or two to one. It's literally like two hundred to one or something, right? There are way more Hearthstone viewers. So yep. even if the average Magic player is doubly uh, as valuable as a Hearthstone player, just by sheer quantity, there's just so many more Hearthstone players. Um, yep. So in in one sense, yes, the the average Magic player might spend more money to the game, but I think because of how the the secondary market works and how it's a paper product, you know, like Wizards doesn't spend money shipping and printing, whereas Hearthstone is just development, and then, you know, there it is. It's just free money, and it goes directly to Blizzard. There's no middleman to take the cut. Uh, I'm going to assume that Hearthstone makes a lot more money than Magic, but uh, that's just I, random guessing. I have no idea. Yeah, I, 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 th- I, I think you can assume that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that's I, a good assumption. I think at the same time, uh, those viewers for Hearthstone might have a... Uh, a higher likelihood of actually trying the game uh, if you're a new player that hasn't played the game just because it's a lot cheaper to get into so why the the average magic player might be worth more if you just have a bunch of random viewers i would almost think that hearthstone would end up making more money anyway because you can get a lot of people that'll try a free-to-play game or maybe play a couple bucks for arena uh, more so than getting people to pay $10 to sign up and then another $100 to buy their first deck on Magic Online. All right. And our last question from Jacob H. As a new player, I'm inexperienced with selling cards. What method will allow me to get the most value for my cards? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're really never going to get full market value for your cards. You're always going to try to at least undercut the market at you know by some percentage so your card will likely sell. So you're never going to get full market value like Star City Games will will charge for their cards. Uh, the closest you can get, I mean, is basically... The, the closest you're going to get is if you can sell without getting any fees on TCG Player, eBay, you know, what have you. You, you know, you sell locally. You sell, you know, Craigslist or... I don't even know if they do fees now. I don't think so. Or social media outlets... Then the second round is going to be the eBay TCG player uh, type sites. I mean, that's really the closest you're ever going to get. Yeah, I mean, basically, you gotta you gotta weigh the amount of work that it takes to the amount of money that you get. The more work you yep. put into selling the card, the more money you're going to get for it. Takes a lot of effort to find a local player. Sometimes it's going to give you real cash money and not just trade another card for your cards. But that'll get you the most money. It also takes quite a while sometimes, as far as shipping and listing, to sell on eBay and TCG Player. But it'll get you kind of the medium amount of money. And then on the bottom end, the easiest and quickest is just to buy list the card, but that'll get you the least amount of money. So those are your three main options. It's all about how much work and time you're willing to put into it to maximize your value. Yep, and that wraps up all of our fish mail today. Awesome. Well, if there's no more fish mail, I think we covered everything, gentlemen. Uh, any, th- any kind of final things while we go out the door here? I think we got everything. More spoilers next week, so gentlemen, a great cast, and I guess we can just sign out and we will do this next week. See you all next time. This is the crew signing out.